Hi, I'm Pastor Lori Boucher, and I want to personally welcome you to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Are you ready to study the Bible together chapter by chapter? If you go to heartstrong.life and sign up for a free membership, you will get access to the full Bible reading plan and all the bonus discipleship content that we have prepared for you. Open up your Bible and get ready to take some notes because God is going to speak to you today. Let's become heartstrong disciples together through the study of God's Word. We have some interesting chapters today uh, in Genesis chapter 34 and chapter 35, but just before we get there, uh, we're going to do our memory verse. And so Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 It is Christ's example of humility to us. And so together, let's read wherever you are, whatever version you have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so today we're going to be going through Genesis, as I mentioned, chapters 34 and chapters 35. Uh, They contain dramatically different stories, but there are some threads through both chapters And they're asking fundamental questions such as, can we really change injustice to justice? Or can we really be changed from our character, not just from the outward, not just what we say, but can we really be changed on the inside out? Remember where we are at the arc of God's story. You see God's original intent, sin sin into the picture, darkness into the picture, And then the reality of all these things are are colliding. Where we are in Genesis chapter 34 and chapter 35, God has given a promise to Abraham. Uh, You're seeing it go to Isaac. You're seeing it go to Jacob. Now we're going to begin to see this heart for a nation that is going to emerge. Uh, The law has not yet been given. So hold where you are in tension with what you know of the whole story already in Jesus. This is where we are. And so Genesis chapter 34 invites you and invites I to consider how we see the relationship between God, humanity, and injustice. And so consider what the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would pen much later in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is spiritual worship. So when we gather for spiritual worship, this is the heart. And then it goes on to say, though, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And so spiritual worship for me and for you is all about formation, okay? It's all about how we're being formed. And Paul says, we are either being formed by a con, which is, is, is don't be conformed, which is we're being conformed or formed, I should say, which is similar in form. So in this way, in a worldly fashion, so there's no transformation of our character taking place. We are simply being squeezed, pressured, molded into a worldly way of thinking, living, and feeling. 
or there's trans, which we know is being changed into a different form. In this context, to be more like Jesus. I was once dead and now I'm alive. I once sinned and now I engage in righteousness. And so these are the things that we're looking at. And so Genesis chapter 34 and 35, as a quick five minute overview, is gonna invite us to ask some really important questions such as, what do you believe about change? How do you believe change happens? And lastly, does the way you see the world take into account that we live as Jacob does in contested space? We have God's desire, there are demonic, there is demonic deception. And then in the midst of these things, there are just our decisions, which are both good and bad, influenced by both powers that want to form and shape our lives. And as they do, the decisions we make, the systems we set up, the societies we engage in, makes culture all around us. And this is filled with contested space. Okay. So, I go back a little bit, now let's dig into Genesis chapter 34 together. In Genesis chapter 3, God speaks to the serpent. Uh, Satan knows that through the offspring of a woman uh, will come one whose heel he will bruise, but his head will be crushed. He knows that God doesn't lie. Satan knows that God doesn't lie. This is going to come to pass, uh, but he doesn't know when. And so in scripture, you see that there is going to be enmity or strife uh, between Satan and women, which surfaces as we go through scripture, even till today, as experienced inequality on earth. And so I want to say this um, clearly that Genesis chapter 34, sadly, is a story that we will see elements of unfolding again and again, even in our day. And Genesis chapter 34 uh, today it does contain a sexual assault. And so if that is part of your story, please know that God only has healing for you today, uh, not harm, only healing. I'm going to pause, I'm going to pray, and we're going to dig in. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, Genesis 34 and 35, Holy Spirit, we invite you to transform us to be more like Jesus. And so whether it's after reading words, your word, making comments upon it, or having conversation or questions today, reflections within our own heart, Father, we recognize that we all live in contested space. Even our own hearts oftentimes are these spaces of where things are being contested, where wars are being fought, where pulled left and right. And so, Father, this morning we submit and we surrender to you. Have your way in our hearts and our lives, in the way we see the world, and the way we speak with our mouths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 34, verses 1 to 4. I'm going to turn my head here because I'm just reading over here. Okay. Uh, it says, now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, and you remember the story of Leah. Okay. So now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and he lay with her and he humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dina, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamar saying, get this girl for my wife. 
And so Dinah, uh, a daughter of Leah and Jacob, is sexually assaulted. And then her abuser, Shechem, then wishes to marry her. And so Jacob and her brothers, they hear about the assault on, on well, uh, their daughter. Jacob hears about his daughter. Brothers hear about their sister, Dinah. And Shechem's father, Hamor, also, which his name, by the way, is supposed to be ironic. It, it actually it means female donkey. Uh, so not really the wisest dude on the, on the earth at the time. Uh, also hears about uh, this sin and the injustice Shechem has committed against Dinah. And so Dinah has been treated uh, unjustly. She's been unjustly treated, and she is a victim of Shechem's sin. And here's what's interesting as we continue to read into this story of Genesis chapter 34. Uh, once the injustice perpetrated on her becomes public knowledge, opinions and attempts to fix the problem ensue. Everybody, as it is then, it is today. Everybody has a thought, an opinion, and a side. As I just mentioned, as it was then, it remains so today. Forgetting, however, they seem to forget, as we read through Genesis 34, that there is a person in the midst of this, not only a problem to be solved. And while we hear from many voices in Genesis chapter 34, I want you to notice two voices that are not heard from at all. The first is you do not hear the voice of Dinah. And secondly, you do not hear the voice of God. Both of these two voices are absent from this story. There is not a single record of anybody inquiring of God in Genesis 34, nor is there a single verse where you hear what Dinah desires. And so without hearing from Dinah, who is a victim, or God, who is over all of this, you just have humanity trying to deal with injustice in the way that humans do. And so an arrangement is made for the uh, Hivites to merge with the tribe of Jacob. And this was to keep the peace between the true two tribes. And so we can read that. And now let's read that in chapter five. Um, now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons were with the livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. I'm reading at verse six. And Hamar, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard it, and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. This is assault. This is wrong. It's very clearly stated here. But Hamar spoke with them, saying, the soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Shechem also said to his father and to his brothers, let me find favor in your eyes and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for a great, uh, ask me for a great a bride price as and gift as you will, and I will give you whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully. So you see that again. Pastor Lori did a tremendous job weaving that. You see it again uh, because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to the one who is uncircumcised. 
for this would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition we will agree with you, that you will become as we are by every male among you circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughters and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamar and Hamar's sons Shechem. And the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamar and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city saying, and then it goes on to read all those things. I was going to comment on it here. Once again, I want you to note, Dinah's voice has not been heard and God's voice has not been consulted. And so for, there to be a mer for this merger to be realized, there, of course, was the issue of circumcision, which was the symbol of covenant life for Jacob, thus Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, for God, circumcision was about being set apart. Thus, it was supposed to be life-giving. It was holiness, which means being set apart. In this situation, you have the sons of Jacob who deceive or there is deceit, and they trick Hamar, Shechem, and of course, they have revenge on their minds, and so the entire tribe then is circumcised, and while they're healing, if we were to continue to read it, uh, they then avenge, and they kill the and all the men who are being, essentially, they've all circumcised themselves, pretty graphic, I know, and they are uh, being healed from that, and while they are weak and being healed, they engage, and they they kill all of them to avenge their sister and Jacob's daughter. Simeon and Levi, we see in verses 28 and 29, they rescue their sister by killing Hamar and they kill Shechem along with all the men. Once again, while they are still sore and healing from being circumcised. Um, and if you think about it in this way, then what starts with injustice towards Dinah um, now you're beginning to see a multiplication of injustice. Um, though you can see revenge and avenging what has happened to their sister, um, and now an entire tribe of women and children also lose husbands and fathers, you're seeing the multiplication of injustice and pain. From one man's actions, Shechem. Dinah is saved from Shechem, but once again, we see injustice multiplied. And if you listen carefully, in particular, let's go down to verses 30 and 31. It says this, it says that then Jacob said to Simeon and to Levi, you have brought trouble on me because they, they wiped out the tribe essentially of Hamar and Shechem. You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few. And if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. And I really, really want you to notice verse 31. But they said, that's Simeon and Levi, the brothers of Dinah, they said this. Here's their response. Should he treat our sister, that is a correct identity, like a prostitute. That is an incorrect identity. There's not, Dinah was always and ever only their sister. She was not a prostitute. And so the chapter ends with a foreshadowing of how we look at wounding, pain, and injustice. Those things can create false narratives that get woven into identities. And the story ends with Dinah being identified, and that's the key word, 
by something she never did, nor was she ever. And so this is too a story of formation, contested space, assault, revenge, and then self-interest. Notice that Jacob, if you listen to his words, he does not seem to have concern for Dinah. He has concern for what they've done is going to come back on him. Once again, Dinah is the victim in this, yet her voice is incredibly silent as every other voice and opinion gets very, very loud. This is something we still see in our day. Now, I want you to contrast this with, with the story that you know in the New Testament. I want you to contrast what happens here from what you see in Jesus. There's a woman who gets thrown at Jesus's feet. There's a woman who is caught in the very act of adultery. Um, there are some things that are true that are about her, but very much like Dinah, there is much more to the story that, that is said about her identity that is not true. And I want you to see what Jesus does, how he desires to form, to heal, and to bring justice to her situation, that whether it is Simeon and Levi, others are not safe as these men engage uh, an injustice that has occurred in their own eyes. But when you have another man named Jesus, who is fully God, you see in the New Testament, God's heart and what it looks like for the fullness of God's desire to be dealt with in moments of injustice such as these. Though there are different variables, I understand. You see God's genuine heart here. And so you can know that you can know God's heart in the Old Testament, that all that occurs is not his heart because we see it fully realized in Jesus. So the story ends in Genesis 34 with a story of some truth, but false identity being spoken about um, Dinah, which translates into a new identity for Jacob. Let's continue. Jacob is now going to receive, and some of you are going to go, wait a minute, he got it in Genesis 32. I know. So Genesis 35 verses 1 to 15. Let's read it. God said to Jacob, so the story now just switches, arise and go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there, to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Genesis 32, that's what he's referring to. So God said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Remember Pastor Lori yesterday spoke about monotheism versus polytheism. So not from Jacob's side, but from Rachel's side, there's clearly polytheism occurring here. And so you see God is dealing with it. Um, then arise and go to Bethel that I may make an altar there to God. Whoever answers me in the day of distress and he will be with me wherever I go. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror fell from God upon the cities that were around them. God seems to do this in the Old Testament sovereignly on a few occasions, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who are with him. And there he built an altar and he called the place El Bethel. El Bethel means God of Bethel, uh, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name a name I can't pronounce. God appeared to Jacob again 
And when he came to Padaram, God blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer your name shall be called, be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God almighty, be fruitful and multiply. And this is very significant. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place when he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. So Jacob sets up a pillar to God at Bethel in Genesis 28. In Genesis chapter 32, God wrestles with Jacob. Jacob is given a new name, but I want you to think of it in this way. The name that he is given, Israel, is not yet who he is. It is this prophetic sign that God says, this is who you must grow into and become. So we are seeing, as Pastor Lori did yesterday, the deceitfulness fall away, the transformation of Jacob. The Hebrew writers of the Torah want you to see that he is being changed from the inside out that he is growing into his new identity. Um, and so in Genesis 32, when he's given the name, not much changes. He's still Jacob, 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 Jacob. But now he's growing into this new name. But Genesis chapter 35, which we're in now, acknowledges that this name is not only just for Jacob. It signifies a greater story, which is now a nation and then nations, Israel, that are going to come out of it. So you're going to see an interchange, Jacob and Israel, because for Jacob, he's still in that way. But Israel is, yes, who his character is becoming. It's tied to the promise of God, but it's going. To, it's really the name for a new nation. And so once again, as we've read in verse two, Jacob instructs his family to put away foreign gods. This is evidence of polytheistic worship mixed into the house of Jacob in verse nine, as we've already read. Abraham and Isaac are both blessed by God. Isaac blesses Jacob, albeit it was through deception. Yet at this moment, now Jacob is blessed by God, not through deception. In Genesis 35, verse 10, as I've just covered, Jacob's name is changed to Israel. This is God affirming Jacob is no longer a deceiver, swindler, heel grabber. God's promise to Abraham always included other people. Uh, Isaac and Jacob are other people, but God's heart now is unfolding. It's for a nation, as we've read in verse 11, a nation and a company of nations shall come for you. And so you can see the unfolding plan of God from one man to one nation, from one nation will come one man, that is Jesus, who will bring salvation to all creation, okay? Israel is God's covenant people. Gentiles, later in the story, will become adopted or grafted in. And then Genesis chapter 39, 35, verse 29 ends here. And it says, we can read it together. Genesis 35, verse 29 says, And Isaac breathed his last, and he died. And he was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And then it says, if you remember the story we've all read, and his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. Should make you think of another story read right in Genesis where you see two brothers 
who were in ought come together to bury their father. You see it again. And so I want us to pause here. Once, um, once again, you and I see that given enough time in the midst of contested space between God's heart and desires, an enemy who Jesus gave us language later, who we now know Rob wants to always rob, kill, steal, and destroy, between our decisions, our choices that are either good or bad, create issues, one of the aim within contested space, here's what we can see once again. God is ultimately a redeemer. He is a promise keeper, and he is our covenant-keeping God. God continues to move in the mess of humanity as his heart and his purpose unfolds. And so in the five minutes that you and I have remaining, I just wanted to cover really quickly, just in the last five minutes here, I think it's, I think it's important, even in the, this cultural moment that we find ourselves in, I wanted to just highlight to you the work of a gentleman by the name of Bob Roberts regarding injustice and identity, which are both threads that are woven through Genesis chapter 34 and 35. He asserts that as Christians, which is a matter of our identity, that if we desire to see change and transformation in our lives, to be transformed, to be more like Christ, that we have to be mindful, in particular, in this cultural moment that we are living in, our desire to see justice, we have to make sure that as we engage things that are unjust in our lives, in our family, in our church, in the church, in the world in which we live, that we are doing so in a way that is God-honoring. He invites us to think about Genesis chapter 34 and stories of injustice and today through different lens. There's three ingredients if you're going to bake anything. So this is the ingredients for God's heart and God's justice. So for kingdom discipleship, there's three ingredients necessary to see things that are unjust become just. They are mercy, of course, justice, and then there's God's faithfulness. And so when mercy and justice are joined together by God's faithfulness and our faithfulness to God's word and God's ways, this can lead to kingdom discipleship on earth as it is in heaven, which is all of our hearts, allowing us to live out our salvation and then develop a following Jesus, a formation, a spirituality that can actually be the antithesis and it can show the world they have the cry for justice and it can show that we are a counterculture community, that the church is not um, just simply against everything in the world, that it is for what God is doing and this is appealing. However, if like we're baking, making a meal, if we remove a few ingredients, so for example, if you remove God's faithfulness from the story of Genesis 34 or our story today, and all you have is mercy and justice, often what you get is what you see in Genesis 34, which is secular humanism in a way. Mercy and justice without God's faithfulness leads to secular humanism, where God is always excluded. And therefore there is no divine standard to hold actions or ideas up against. My truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. But what is truth? What's the definition? When it's removed, justice then shifts from things that are, that are ultimate to arbitrary. 
we have this shared vision or a fractured vision created of us and them. So there we live in as a Canadians, secular humanism, because God is excluded from the picture. And so you see a picture of Genesis 34 very much in our issues today. You can also see two other ingredients that if you have only justice and only faithfulness, you have harsh activism or justice and faithfulness, whether it's God or all without mercy leads to this harsh activism that quickly becomes mean-spirited and it becomes very critical, always and only us versus them. And together we've lived this through the pandemic and maybe we still do around vaccination or unvaccination, around this target or that target, this belief, harsh activism where we are putting one another down. Finally, if you only have mercy and faithfulness, you have this deficient pietism, pietism, and this gets into the church, almost this better than you-ness. And so mercy and faithfulness without justice lead to a deficient pietism that is tone deaf to suffering. And it yields no action on behalf of the hurting or the oppressed. It is expressing sorrow, but never going to the root of what is causing the sorry. sorrow. It is being sorry without a solution. And so I say all those things in our last time together, because whether it is in the story of Dinah or God working out redemption and transformation in the like of Jacob, our hearts should always be about mercy, justice, but ultimately including God's faithfulness and our faithfulness to God's word and his God and God's ways. Because just if we want to make anything, if we exclude ingredients, we won't get that which we desire. And we often like a few of these things, but we need the fullness to see God's full heart. Let's pray. Father, today, we just bring both of these stories, these questions, Father, that we've asked already, which are, what do we believe about change? And how do we believe change happens? And does the way we see the world include you who are always good and the enemy who's always robbing and kill, killing and destroying? And then we live in this contested space, in this space, Lord, making good decisions and bad decisions, creating cultures. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you come and you help us be transformed from the inside out, that we can see kingdom discipleship on earth as it is in heaven. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's Bible study. Don't forget to visit heartstrong.life to access our daily blog for even more encouragement. Visit the Heartstrong shop with all kinds of awesome merch like hoodies, t-shirts, and mugs to remind you of this awesome journey of discipleship that you are on. Log in to heartstrong.life to access all your member content, resources, and downloads. We have live Bible studies for adults, students, and a Bible bootcamp for kids. Let's become heartstrong disciples together.